woke, uh, they woke Jesus up from his sleep, for he was sleeping at the rear of the ship and or of the boat, and he got up and rebuked the storm that stilled the sea and calmed the sea and the waves. And the, the disciples marveled at what manner of man that was. But the point that I was referencing was that the greatest faith, the message was entitled Faith's Greatest Expectation, may have not been in the calming of the sea. It may have been in the simple faith to just simply rest and to trust. And there's an author who's uh, made a statement in a particular book that I'm going to allude to here in just a few moments. She said, um, if, if you would have paid close attention to what Jesus said, that if Jesus said, let's go over to the other side, that's what he said. He said, let's go to the, over to the other side. She said, if he says, let's go over, then you ought to know you're not going to go under. Come on, somebody. Amen. And, and so today, let's let faith be built in our hearts. Let's let the word of God challenge us. You know, when, the church in our generation addresses so many areas of, of uh, the Christian experience. I mean, I, I've heard messages of everything you can imagine from Sunday morning pulpit, including uh, sexual intimacy between husbands and wife that will almost make you blush, just to be honest. We've tried to cover everything. But at the same time, there's some core things that you, you know, perhaps if we're not careful, we're going to, you know, in the old adage of majoring in the minor and minor in the major. Well, this is a core belief here today. It's a core belief. It needs to be written on the tablet of the heart of every one of us. And uh, we're going to pick it up. This is just to create a little bit of the context. Jeremiah, the second chapter, the 13th verse. It's a little bit of a reproof here. Now, Jeremiah, and I'll give you some background to this in a few moments. It says, for my people, the people of Judah, about 2,800 uh, years ago, somewhere in there, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and they have hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. It's a reproof that you have probably heard referenced on multiple occasions if you've been in the church for any time at all, and we'll allude to it here in a moment. Now, Jeremiah, the eighth chapter is the 19th verse, and I just want to pick up for just a moment. Here is Jeremiah once again. We know Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, whose heart is broken over the, um, the, the coming judgment of the, of the nation of Judah. Uh, and, but, but at the same time, there's depth into the word. There's, there's a depth here. It's beyond just judgment. There's a revelation contained. He said, Behold the voice of the cry of the daughter of my people, because of them that dwell in a far country. Is not the Lord in Zion? So in essence... Uh, he is, which I, I'll explain this in a moment, but the, the impending invasion by the Assyrians uh, or by the Babylonians uh, is, is leaving the people uh, kind of uh, fainting. And, and he said, behold the voice of the cry of the daughter of my people because of them that are in a far country. Is not the Lord in Zion? Isn't the Lord in Zion? Is not her king in her? Why have they provoked me to anger, God says, with their graven images and with strange vanities? Notice this, he said, the harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. For the hurt of the daughter of my people am I hurt. I am black, astonishment hath taken hold of me, Jeremiah declares. But it's the 22nd verse that we want to allude to today. It says, is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then is not the health of the daughter of my people recovered? Let's read that again, the 22nd verse, one more time. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then is not the health of the daughter of my people recovered? And so I want to talk today for just a little while to help you and help myself, I hope, to be strengthened in this belief. Certainly as a, 
at Elidian, the balm of Gilead, but we're actually headed towards God's healing covenant. God's healing covenant. That's what we're in pursuit of today in our spiritual uh, understanding. So let's pray. God of heaven, we are so grateful. We've already asked that the Holy Spirit does that invisible work and the preparation of the heart. But God, truly now I pray that preaching, as we say often, would come easy in this house. The hearts of the people would be ready to receive, but also there's got to be something in me of virtue and value that you can use. I know that the scripture says we have treasure in an earthen vessel for the excellency of the power is of God and not of ourselves. But God, you have chosen men to speak through. Remember that Isaiah said the Lord has touched my unclean lip with a coal of fire and sanctified it that it might speak, that he might speak to the people. And I ask in a similar uh, application today that God, I know that in me there is there is evil and iniquity that abides contained within my flesh. But there is also the indwelling Holy Spirit. And I pray that the Spirit of God can speak through me today the Word of God to the listening ear of the people. It's in Jesus' name and all of God's children said, Amen and Amen. I want to take you for just a moment before we go into the text. Before we go into the text today. And this past week as I was kind of... um, Gleaning and thinking about what I had ministered about last week. And I'll tell you what, I felt the anointing of God in here last week. And not that feeling is the, is the clear indicator of the presence of God, but, but it identifies to us. I mean, when Jesus is here, we ought to be, there should be a, a tangible manifestation of his presence. Come on. And, and also, and of the truth that was shared. And especially there's something, uh, there, there, there's, a, there, there's something impacting when people purposely attempt to build your faith, to direct the Word of God directly towards building your faith because you have to have faith, as it's been noted, to please God, but to, to move about God's kingdom. Faith is the currency. That's what we use in order to uh, do anything for the glory of God is the currency of faith. And so as I was contemplating in my private devotion in my office there, and thinking back, I, I drifted over by the book uh, shelves, and that, that's the, the library, and there in the library is uh, many of the books that have been donated. And there was a book in there by, that was donated by Craig Spengler's father, Robert Spengler, and it caught my attention. It was simply entitled The Balm of Gilead. The Balm of Gilead is a book that was written by Lillian Yeoman. Lillian Yeoman wrote this book in 1936. And Lillian uh, was actually, if you go back into her history, she actually became a professor at what's now Central Bible College in uh, Springfield, Missouri. And she was a part of the Foursquare movement and also a part of the Assemblies of God. She kind of had her foot in both worlds. But this book shared a little bit of her testimony, but also not only her testimony, but then it went beyond her testimony into doctrine. And I found myself moved because I've read many books in the earlier years of my pastorate in my preaching ministry on healing and subjects that, um, that were talked about more readily in days gone by. And for whatever reason, we're not emphasizing this, you know, perhaps enough in our culture today. And I was really drawn. So I, for just a moment, if you'll allow me to, I'd like to read just a few excerpts from her book to just kind of help set the context. Because she shares about her, pers- her own personal testimony. And she says, she, finished my, she said, I finished my work in college and hospitals because she was actually a, a, a medical doctor. Uh, and she went to Canada where she practiced in partnership with her mother, who was a doctor, and her father was a medical doctor as well. She describes her mother as a brilliant woman who was a vice president of the part of the suffrage club in Canada. And uh, she said, I worked very hard in my profession, both in private practice and hospital work, and, but the burden and responsibility was crushing and the strain was terrible. 
Sometimes when it seemed more than I could stand, I resorted to narcotics. One awful day, I awoke to the fact that I was an absolute slave to morphine. How I struggled for deliverance. But Satan, my ancient enemy, taunted me and said, there's no hope. No one ever gets delivered in the last stages, and that's where you are. Because other testimonies here had described her as literally uh, a, a living dead person. She was so frail and so broken as a result of the addiction. But continuing to practice. Uh, and so the enemy whispered, no one can be delivered in these final stages. He said this to her, I've got you, I've got you, I've got you. But she spoke about that she came from a long line of Puritan ancestors. And she believed that her grandfather, had, who was a preacher, had prayed a prayer of uh, a, a generational blessing upon his family and his children. And uh, she said, no doubt he claimed me among all his descendants. And she said, let me assure you that God answers prayer. Now, in a moment of absolute despair, she said, there came to me this thought. Unless there's hope for me in the Bible, there's no hope anywhere. Come on, somebody. Amen. So I shut myself up with the book. Listen to this. The only book, as Sir Walter Scott called it. And there I found the living Christ who had been praying for me all along, though I had not known it. I was so sick and so weak, so almost demented that I couldn't pray. But then I would breathe aside to him, Lord Jesus, I am past praying now. You must pray for me. And he did. She writes, he made me know that I was accepted in him. You've got to know that you are accepted in the beloved. I heard Gail say in the foyer today, we have to know that we are in Christ. You have, to be, you have to have that awareness that you are in Christ. And he prayed a prayer for me that I would never have dared to utter. So fully did he identify himself with me in all my awful failure. It was this prayer, thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither suffer thy holy one to see corruption. She said, thank God for such a Savior who went down to the profoundest depths of the horrible pit in which I lay weltering and brought me up by the power of his resurrection. That's a powerful personal testimony. But beyond this, I want to go just for a moment into a little bit of the doctrine that she discovered that led to her deliverance from her addiction. And she spoke about prior to her conversion that many times God graciously had sent faithful messengers who warned her of her awful condition and her inevitable doom if she remained in it. And God is faithful. God sends his people. You know, I've said this before. You didn't find God. God found you. You weren't searching for God. He was searching for you. God was sending uh, messengers in pursuit of you. And she said, uh, as, as she went beyond, she sp said, I was impressed and interested. She said, I realized that these good people possessed something that I lacked and greatly needed. I noticed, however, that some of them did not always seem to be certain about their salvation. And I used to think, that would never satisfy me. I must have something that doesn't depend on my feelings. For I know that they are apt to vary with circumstances. And that's a word for someone here today already. That if you base your faith upon your feelings, you're going to miss God entirely. You're going to be like the ship tossed in the sea, never settled. One day, she said, I came across some writing by the late F.B. Meyer of England in which he gave his testimony to salvation. He said, I am saved, and if the whole world stood against me, I would say, stand thou on that, si on that side, for on this side I am saved. Nothing can make me doubt God's word. And she said to myself, she said, I said to myself, that's the kind of salvation I want. And I began to seek for it. And listen to this, I found it in the Bible. The old B-I-B-L-E. I said it last week, that's the book for me. We will stand alone on the word of God. Amen? The B-I-B-L-E. She said, I'm not saved because I feel good, but I'm saved because the Lord Jesus, 
bore my sins in his own body on the cross. A revelation begins to unfold in her eyes, her spiritual understanding. She was a medically trained doctor, treating people medicinally. But she needed something that could speak to the condition of her soul. And that was the word of God. And she said, uh, she said, I saw there that I was saved because of Calvary. The scripture says, thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. When he, listen to this, Hebrews 1, when he had by himself purged our sins, by himself, no one accompanied Jesus. Jesus himself redeemed us from our sins. And the one who did the work by himself cried, it is finished. Listen to this, the last couple of paragraphs. Believe the word and your feelings will fall in line with it. Healing is a part of salvation. That's where we're going today. Listen to this carefully. Healing is a part of salvation. The blood that was shed on the cross fully atoned for the whole race and provided perfect cleansing for every guilty soul. And we're going to challenge you today, and I'm going to challenge myself in faith. He tasted death for every man, Hebrews 2 and 9. The breaking of his sacred body by the atrocities that deprived him of the resemblance of humanity and guaranteed perfect soundness to our bodies, Peter would write and say, by his stripes you were healed. Listen, because he bore those stripes for your healing, and I'm going to address in a few moments, there is no power in earth. I love the way these writers of early Pentecostal faith, now she writes from a position of understanding and revelation by the quickening of the Holy Spirit. This is not a faith that, that will, uh, uh, she doesn't write from the perspective to build your hope. She writes from a perspective to build your faith. Can I say that? To build your faith. Listen, she said, because he bore those stripes for your healing, there is no power in earth or hell that can place disease on you or hold it there. You are free, but you have to believe God's word. He sent his word and healed them. And I close her writings. The only way to take the medicine is to believe it. Man, that's good right there. No matter how you feel, thy word is truth, John 17 says. Now, to begin to put this in the context of beginning first with Jeremiah's writing. Jeremiah's writing in the last days of Judah, the southern kingdom. Continual idolatry has led to the extreme judgment. Jeremiah writes, and he's exasperated as he writes prophetically. The people, he says, have forsaken the living waters, the abundant supernatural supply. And in essence, they have hewn out or huge cisterns for themselves that he said are broken cisterns that can hold no water. And so he's simply saying that God has an abundant supernatural supply, but we have chosen to do it in and of ourselves. Our own frail efforts will forever be broken. And so there's a deep-seated analogy there. And then he takes us in the 8th chapter to the bomb of Gilead. The actual bomb, there was actually a bomb in that particular region of the Middle East, an ointment from that region that was known for its healing properties. But this is the parable that is bound to the actual bomb itself. Notice what... Jeremiah said, he in essence said this, if God has provided the bomb and God has provided the physician, then the parable is this, then why are God's people still sick? That's what he was writing in the context to his generation, a people that were plagued by idolatry. But the reality is this, listen, Israel had a covenant with God. They had a covenant with God that included divine healing. I'm going to show you in the screen here in the book of Exodus, two verses of Scripture that was given by Moses on Mount Sinai. And I want you to look at with me as we read Exodus 15, verse number 26, to the latter end. 
because the exhortation is if they will diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord God. Now, I know this was to ancient Israel, and this was hundreds of years before Jeremiah reproves them for hewing out their own cisterns. But God had given them a covenant, and he said that if you will heed my commandments and walk in my ways, God said, I'll put none of these diseases upon thee which I brought upon the Egyptians. For what? Notice the latter phrase here. For I am, in the Hebrew, it's Jehovah Rapha. I am the Lord, or Yahweh Rapha. I am the Lord that, come on, say it with me. You say, well, pastor, I'm feeling good today, and so I'm not necessarily that concerned about it. But I'm telling you, there's been a day when you've been sick, and you needed something from God. Is that right? Or you've had a loved one laying up in the bed, and that medicine had not been able to lift the ailment, and you needed something to build your faith. Well, here it is. It's the Word of God. And so Exodus, the covenant promises, I'm the Lord thy God that healeth thee. But he said it again later in the same very book, the Exodus chapter number 23, I believe it is the 25th verse. So read it with me. And he said, if you will serve the Lord thy God. And I know these promises are conditional upon the obedience of Israel. And he said, but God said, if you will serve me, he said, I'll bless your bread and your water and I'll take, I'll take sickness away from the midst of thee. And so now that helps you to understand the parable just a little bit better that Jeremiah posed to the children of Israel. He said, you've got the balm of Gilead and you've got the physician, then why are you yet sick? They had a healing covenant. They had promises from a God that could not lie, a God that had, uh, that had manifested his glory on Mount Sinai and spoken the audible word of God, but the people had fallen prey in apostasy and idolatry, and that's the reproof of Jeremiah. Is there apostasy? But I want to ask this question. Now, that's the, con that's the context of the historical setting. But I want to ask this. Why are God's people today not well? That's a strong question. Can we ask this question? Why is there no bomb in Gilead? Or can we ask it this way? Why is there no bomb in the church? I want to be honest. I'm challenging myself. I'm challenging you. Because I believe there's more than what we're receiving. Right? There has to be more. There are promises made to us. Listen very carefully as we go farther. Um, can't we ask that? I think it's a fair question. Why is there no bomb in Gilead? Is it the same as Israel? Have we too forsaken God for idols? I don't want to say yes to this. I don't think that the church is bound by idolatry. I can't say we're not plagued by things that we allow to rob us of our affection, our attention that ought to belong to God. Right, Many of us have areas of our lives that if they were exposed on the screen, we might tiptoe out the back door today because of lifestyle choices that we make. But I'm going to say uh, that some of those choices are not equivalent to idolatry. But I can say this, we perhaps have hewn out our own cisterns, our own broken cisterns. Listen, because this is the reality. In the Pentecostal church as well, we've become totally dependent upon the medical community. And I'm not here to preach against medicine. I'm not here to preach against medical doctors. I value and thank God. Jesus himself said the sick need a physician. I'm grateful for men and women that have given their time and talent to study medical science. But I don't want to settle entirely for that when there's living water available, right? When there's something supernatural, there's an abundant supply. Uh, and so the reality is in the church, let's be honest, you and I have become totally dependent upon the medical community and medical science we have, all of us have fears of not having medical insurance. It becomes a debate every political season uh, the, about the insurance and the medical care in America today. And, and, and I'm telling you, you would just, your, your heart would be overwhelmed in anxiety if you didn't have an insurance policy. 
But all the while, perhaps we're missing that God's got a covenant that we're not looking closely enough at. Here's the reality that's contributed to the reason why perhaps there's no healing balm in Gilead is that we live unhealthy lives and lifestyles in the area of both diet and exercise. We all know that. Sometimes we contribute to our own physical demise, right? Praying at the altar for God's healing while abusing our body. Now, y'all don't want me to go there, correct? And the reality is I don't want to go there. We also allow work stress and addictions to control or to affect our lives and ultimately our health. So there's a lot of reasons that we can give for why there's a lack of balm in Gilead because we've got a great physician. I want to be treated by the great physician. Pastors, I believe, are partially at fault. Pentecostal, charismatic pastors, we have failed to consistently teach faith and the principles of the word necessary to build faith in God's healing covenant. We have to make time for this teaching. Lillian's life, Dr. Yeoman's life, was miraculously healed by a revelation of the word of God. By spending time alone hearing and reading the word of God, she discovered a healing Jesus. But we don't give God time. We don't make time for him. It's all I can do to squeeze an hour and a half out of you one time a week. Maybe why there's no healing bomb in Gilead. I'm not trying to, to be critical. I'm just trying to be honest. I'm not trying to judge you. I'm trying to judge myself. I've failed in the area of not keeping principles in front of you. I can't answer all your questions. I can't answer why this person prayed a prayer and they weren't healed. I can't answer that. The Bible says that the secret things belong to God. I can't build your faith and build my own faith around things I can't answer. But I can point to what's clear in Scripture. That's what we're going to do today. The simple, stark reality is this. Listen to this. Faith moves God. Can I say that one more time? Faith moves the mountain. Faith moves God. Faith secures the blessing of God. I've already noted it's the currency in order for us to function in God's kingdom. I've already noted today, without faith, you're not pleasing to God. In order to receive from God, we must acknowledge Him as God and believe that He is a rewarder of those that diligently seek Him. I wrote it this way, with faith, God will marvel. Remember Jesus, there were two things that caused Jesus to marvel while He was here on the earth. Two things. And I believe that if He was walking physically among the church today, He would still marvel at those two things. Those two things were faith in the presence of genuine faith, such as the centurion that said, he said, Lord, don't even come under my roof. My servant is sick, but you don't even have to come down here. If you'll just speak the word, my servant will be made whole. And Jesus said, my God. He turned around, looked at his disciples, said, I've been searching through all of Judea, and I've not found great faith like this. I found it in a Roman centurion. He marveled. But you know what also caused him to say, my goodness, unbelief, unbelief. So God's either marveling at your faith or he's marveling at your unbelief today. The good thing that I know, there's one good thing that I know about unbelief. Unbelief can change. Come on, when we receive the word of God, unbelief can fade away. And we can become men and women of faith to believe his promises. Here's what I believe. This is something, and I don't preach that often about it. And shame on me. Shame on me. Years ago, I studied this out so diligently. But I believe in order for you and I to receive God's healing virtue, you and I must be fully convinced. Here's what I believe the doctrine that is so 
necessary for us to receive God's healing grace in our lives. You and I must be convinced that healing is the children's bread. That it is a part or a right or a benefit of the covenant that we have in Christ. Let me go a little farther than that. Faith, you say, Pastor, uh, I'm to have faith. I'm to, faith moves God. Well, listen to this. Faith has to have a foundation upon which to stand. Let me say this again deeper. If you put a request or a demand in one sense, the proper sense on God, that demand must be established upon a legal, spiritual, binding principle. It must be bound to a principle. If you're going to put a demand on something, then you must have, have to have a binding, spiritual, legal right to put that demand upon God. Faith searches for it because without it, then it's just hope. Everybody can hope for all things, but hope doesn't move the mountain. Faith moves the mountain. Everybody hopes to be healed, even those that don't believe in divine healing. Even those that, be, that do not believe, there's the group called cessationists that believe the gifts and the power of the healing power of God ceased at the death of the last apostle. But I guarantee you when they're sick, they hope to be healed. Every sick person hopes to be healed. But I believe based upon the biblical record, the thing that can open and unlock God's healing virtue in the church until healing balm is available and flowing freely from the hands of the church again is what? It's faith. Faith in the promises of God. So you ask in hope many times at best, but often we ask in unbelief at worst. But God said, ask in faith and you shall receive. Ask in faith. Let's go farther. I want to talk to you today in closing about God's healing covenant where I believe that is contained. I believe that it is provided. This is according not just to the doctrine of the assemblies of God, but it is written in the 16 fundamental truths of the assemblies of God. But I don't say it because I got it conditioned in me because I was a young pastor and I read the 16 fundamental truths and I said, that's it. No, I say it because I read the word of God and I studied this out for myself. But I believe the healing is provided for in the atonement. What does that mean, Pastor Brown? Well, let me just take and go put it in contrast for a moment with ancient Israel. Israel, as we noted here previously, had the promise of healing in the law. Didn't we note that? Wasn't that a promise? Did you not read that? Didn't you read that up there on the screen? God said, if you'll obey the law to, change, to the children of Israel, he said, I'll, I'll snatch healing away from you. Right? And you'll, he said, you'll, I'll be Jehovah Rapha. I'll be the Lord who heals you. That was in the, in the, in the covenant of the law. But what about the church? We're the church. We're not under the law. That's true. However, here's what the Bible says about the covenant that you and I enjoy. We have a better covenant based upon better promises. Listen, I, that was good right there. I, I received, but see, the, there, there was one problem with that covenant. It was conditional upon the obedience of the people. See, I have a promise today that's not conditional upon my obedience it's conditional upon his obedience. I was already judged unfaithful. But God judged him faithful. And so you know what God did? God took my unfaithfulness and put it on him. Right? And so therefore God could declare me faithful because he put my unfaithfulness. Come on, that's good right there, church family. That's a, that's a part of redemption. It's a transaction. God took from me and put it on him. We'll go farther with that in a moment. Being in covenant with God, and this is my own personal uh, uh, prognosis, I should say, my spiritual prognosis. 
whether it was in the old covenant or the new covenant, if you were in covenant with God, it afforded certain blessings. Whether it was ancient Israel under the old or the church to include Israel by faith and Israel in the spirit, uh, then, then at the same time, it affords blessings for us. We're going to put three verses of Scripture on the screen, Psalms. The psalmist wrote, and I want to say this about the Psalms. The Psalms either rested upon the law or they foreshadowed the coming Messiah. Either way, let's look at this. Bless the Lord. It's one of my favorite songs that we sing, Shane. Just we sing, bless the Lord, oh my soul. Come on, and all that is within me. Man, I appreciated that exhortation from JoJo a while ago. I mean, get, get your praise on in this house today. Every day we ought to be saying this. Lord, I will bless you, oh my soul. Every fiber of my being is going to give God praise, right? I'm going to bless his holy name. Why? Let's read it on down. Second verse. I'm going to bless the Lord, and when I bless him, I'm not going to forget his benefits. I'm not going to forget the goodness of God. Now, the psalm lists a great number of benefits, but my attention is drawn to two in the third verse. It says here that God forgives all your iniquity. Stop right there. Don't read any farther. Every one of us here today that's had the genuine experience of being born again has had a moment of celebration in our lives when we recognize that though our sins were a scarlet, they're now white like wool. Come on, somebody. We experience the power of redemption, the power of forgiveness. We know what it's like to have our sin burden taken off of us and put on Christ at the cross. He that the Son is set free is free indeed. We know what it's like to be condemned, to be belittled, to be ostracized, to be, to be outlawed, to know that we were sinful, and then God. God saved us, redeemed us, and put us in his family and declared us his own. Come on, we know that. We know the forgiveness and we know the, the, the freedom that we have as a result of it. And we can bless the Lord all day long in this house. Well, that's why we sing about the blood. We celebrate the blood because that's where our forgiveness was found in the blood of Jesus. Man, that's better preaching than y'all shouting right there. But I want you to know it's a covenant that contains more than one provision. Look at it, tied exclusively to this covenant of sin being forgiven is what? The healing of your diseases. Tied to it, to this promise from God, the psalm. The psalm is either resting on the promise of the law or it's foreshadowing the coming of the Messiah, one or the other. In this capacity, it's probably a little bit of both. The reality is, I want to challenge this, do you have the audacious or the bold faith to declare by faith, it's your right to be healed? It's your right to be healed. It's a demand placed upon what? Upon the covenant that God's already promised. What does healing is provided for in the atonement mean? Can I talk to you about that before I close? The atonement is God's redemption through Christ. It includes the price of redemption. Atonement literally just means a covering. It was the atoning sacrifice. For, it's extracted from the mercy seat of ancient Israel that the blood would sit upon, that would be sprinkled on the day of atonement on the mercy seat, and God would atone. He would cover their sins. And, and, and it, but it's used metaphorically in the church today, referencing Jesus' sacrificial blood. It includes in the context the power of redemption and exchange. In essence, it, 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 if you put it together kind of in the fullness of its application, maybe not in its definition, but its application, is that it includes the price of redemption. It was an atoning or a satisfying. God had a demand. The demand was that just needed to be paid because we were 
unjust. We had sinned and transgressed. And so we were insufficient. We didn't have the resources. We could not pay God's demand. And so God demanded blood, blood sacrifice. For in this life, the life of the flesh is in the blood. And so God searched all of humanity and he also searched all of the animals that were ever slain. And all of that blood was not sufficient to pay the price of transgression that took place in the garden called Eden long years ago. But on a cross called Calvary, there Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, shed his precious blood. And that precious blood finally satisfied. If you could have looked up into heaven, the cash register would have rung to the top. That the demand for sin had finally been met. Jesus Christ had justified Adam's transgression and now God could include all of humanity back into his family. Why? Because of the precious blood of Jesus on the cross. Glory to God. Hallelujah. That's the atonement. But what we often overlook is that included in the atonement is a promise that not only are your sins forgiven, But our sicknesses are healed. We know that in Jesus' ministry, he healed the sick. Do you know that? He did, didn't he? He did. He healed the sick. That's perhaps without question among us. The apostles healed the sick. We know that, don't we? History records that after the apostles died, despite what the cessationists say, history records there were miracles in the early church for the first and second and third century. Recorded miracles. But the question is, Is it a covenant benefit? I believe that that's where the tipping point lies. I believe it's there that if we ever arrive at the place within ourselves that we say it's a covenant benefit, then we can place a demand upon that covenant promise. I believe the reason why we don't place the strong enough demand upon the covenant promise is because we are not convinced in our heart that it's a covenant benefit. Let me ask you a question real quickly. Let me say this real quick. This is very powerful right here. Listen to this real quickly. Do you have the right to ask God for forgiveness of sins? What do you base that upon? Mm-hmm. What do you ba- well, I mean, it's a simple question. You, you answered it, yes. I mean, let me ask you, if there was a sinner among us today, and perhaps there is, and they came to you and they confessed and said, man, I'm a sinner and I need a savior. Every one of us would say, man, let me come down, I'll pray with you. And then you would turn to him and you'd say, brother, listen, if the Bible says if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins, to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So you would base the fact that he confessed his sins, that you would you promise him that he's been cleansed, wouldn't you? Based upon what? The word of God. You would. Well, then if you understand this principle, then we ought to be able to put the same demand on the same promise. Come on, somebody. Amen. We ought to be able to say if we've got sickness in our body or our children have got sickness in their bodies and they can't pray the prayer of faith for themselves, then you and I as parents ought to be able to say, God, I'm putting a demand, not based upon who I am, but I'm going to base it upon what he did. Come on, somebody. And I'm going to trust that by your stripes I'm healed. Let me go a little farther in closing today. I'm about to, I know I'm preaching long, but I'm preaching right. Let's go to a familiar passage in closing. I know you say, Pastor, you used that three times. It's a trick. It's a sleight of hand, isn't it? No, it used to be a trick. Now you just say, once he said he's closing, I know some of your elbows said, don't believe it. But I got to finish. Peter, the doctor, has said, go ahead. Come on, somebody. Dr. Brassel said, it's on now. We hadn't even started church. It's just now, it's about to happen right now. I, Dr. Brasso, I believe this, and I believe we need it. I, I'm tired of God's people being sick. 
I'm tired of us losing people to cancer. Come on, somebody. Listen, I know people need a red ribbon or a pink ribbon. I know that. I think what we need is a scarlet thread more than a pink ribbon. Come on. We need a scarlet thread of redemption, an awareness of it. I know we need medical treatment and we need to uh, support all that. I'm for that a hundred times, but I don't want to hew out a cistern that I know is going to eventually leak, but I want to receive the living waters of God's healing power. You know what the world and the culture needs today? What, would it, what if God opened up a stream of healing right here at First Assembly of God? Listen, I'm telling you, we couldn't build a, big, a building big enough to contain people who would come running because genuine need is there. The problem is we are not providing the right source to people. We're not seeing the living water flow the way it needs to flow. So the question is a valid question. Why is there no healing bomb in Gilead? Why, we've got the physician, the bomb is in the covenant, then why are we yet sick? Perhaps we have not petitioned God based upon faith in the authoritative word of God. Let's go just a little farther. Peter, which is one of the most quoted passages, we'll read it, 1 Peter 2 and 24, we'll put it on the screen just real quickly. As Peter references, and I'll show, and I'll bring clarity to this. I don't know how long I preach, but I'm just got to keep on, okay? I know it's right at noon, but I'm on the four out of five pages of notes. Who of his own body, his own self, being Jesus, bear our sins where? Body on the tree, on the tree, that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. Now, I know that that's debatable whether or not that is applicable to spiritual sickness or physical sickness, but I'm going to address it in a moment. This, fra- this, this phrase at the end, the first half is Peter speaking by the Holy Spirit. At the end is Peter quoting Isaiah, who was prophesying uh, hundreds of years earlier. So here's what we often say. Peter here shows it as a finished work. He's looking back at the cross. But as he looks back at the cross, he's quoting from a prophet, Isaiah, who was looking ahead to the cross. And then when, he, when Isaiah, so you've got to read both to understand one. And then there's another scripture that unlocks the whole mystery. That's what we're going to do in closing today. It's because that's a valid question. Is this a spiritual sickness or is it physical sickness or is it both? So we're going to draw our attention to it. Now we go to Isaiah for just a moment. So let's put this up there. Isaiah 53 is certainly known as one of the messianic prophecies. It's one of the the most detailed messianic prophecies in all the Old Covenant. All the people of ancient Israel knew that this was a reference at one degree towards the coming of the Messiah. For here it says, Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Let's read it down. For he, speaking of Jesus, now again, prophetically, we know this by revelation as we look back, but this reference is Jesus. He shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of a dry ground, he hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. 53rd verse, he was despised and rejected of men. How many know this is speaking of Jesus? He's called a man of sorrows. He was acquainted with grief. But the people of Israel hid, as it were, their faces from him. They considered him to be despised. And we esteemed him, we esteemed him not. Fourth verse, don't forget the fourth verse. We'll come back to that in closing. Surely he hath borne our griefs. And carried our sorrows. Yet we did what? We did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. What the prophet would say is he was carrying our sorrows, but we said he was being smitten of God. Fifth verse, in closing, real quick in this passage. He said, but he was wounded for our transgressions. Peter is quoting this when he writes to his epistle. He was bruised for our iniquities, and the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And what? By his stripes we 
are healed. So look at it in its proper context. Isaiah is prophesying it, saying there's coming a day that we're going to be healed. He's speaking it prophetically. By his stripes, we are healed. Peter's looking back at it through the cross of Calvary and saying, by his stripes, ye were healed. And then their theologians want to come along and say, well, but that was about a spiritual sickness of sin. But I've already showed you it's a dual covenant. But I want to go farther, and I want you to see this with all clarity. There is a chapter in the book of Matthew. We're only going to read two verses, but you've got to read it on, its own, on your own. Dr. Yeoman, in her book, wrote this. She said, I believe every Christian ought to read the eighth chapter of the book of Matthew, verses 1 through 17, three times consecutively, and let it be written on the tablet of your heart. In the passage of Scripture, we have three distinct healing miracles that take place. I'm only going to note them just for the point of reference. We're only going to look at the last two verses of that passage, 16 and 17. But it's the passage where the leper came to Jesus, said, Lord Jesus, if you're willing, you can make me clean. What did he say? Not today. No, that's not what he said. There's no place in the Word of God where any person ever came to Christ. There's no place where anyone was ever turned away. He said, I will be thou clean. The second passage is the centurion that I've already mentioned, whose servant was sick, who spoke those famous words, Lord, speak the word only, and my servant shall be made whole. Now, some of you are saying, Pastor, well, you know, I'm hearing you today. Listen, the next time your child's sick, you'll be glad you heard this word. You'll be glad that there's something in your heart that can leap up in faith in that moment right there. And it's not hope that you're praying in, but it's faith that you're praying in. And the third one is Peter's mother-in-law was at Capernaum and she was sick of a fever and he just walked in in compassion and touched her. She got up and she served them. And when that happened, it sparked something. Just one little healing sparked a revival. One healing of a woman that just had a fever. She didn't have crippled limbs or blind eyes. She just had a fever. And he touched her and she got up and started to serve. A word started to spread. And before the sun could set, 16th verse of Matthew, let's read it just real quick. And I'm clo- this is the closing. You've got to see us. And when the evening was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils. He cast out the spirits with his word, and he healed all that were sick. Isn't that powerful? He healed all that were sick. All that were sick. I hear that, Brother Harl. Come on. That includes you, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Come on. By his stripes, you were healed. Come on, somebody. Amen. But now notice this. Now Matthew, who is a Jew, who's taught the word of God from his early childhood, references back to something he can remember out of Isaiah's gospel or Isaiah's uh, prophecy. He said that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. Say, Pastor, when was that? The fourth chapter, or excuse me, the fourth verse of the 53rd chapter, the King James writer wrote it this way. He bore our griefs, and he carried our sorrows. But see, the scripture wasn't given in King James English. It was given in Hebrew and the Old Testament. And so Matthew understood that he was actually speaking of sicknesses. So Matthew, when he writes it, he said that Isaiah said that he took our infirmities and he carried our sicknesses. So when you open your King James Bible and you read Isaiah 53, you say, Lord, you bore my griefs and you carried my sorrows. But if you really were looking at it by the eyes of faith, you could understand that Jesus, not only did he bear your sin on the tree, but he carried your infirmities and he bare your sicknesses. Where did he bear them? So those of you that are debating this doctrine in your mind and saying Peter was referencing the sickness of sin. Yes, he was, but he wasn't referencing it exclusively because in the same passage of Isaiah 53, it plainly says that he took not only your sins, but he took your infirmities and he carried your 
sicknesses. God's healing covenant. I'm going to invite Shane, worship team, or some of you. I don't know how, how you want to do it, Shane. Uh, God's healing covenant is provided in the atonement. Can y'all say that with me? God's healing covenant is provided in the atonement. Church family, we must believe. We must believe. We must believe. Listen, I know that we receive by faith. We must confess with our mouth and we must walk in confidence. I know that we have to do our part. And I'm not talking about a conditional promise like the, the law, but I know we have to still do our part. We have to take care of ourselves and all that. I understand that. But in doing so, I don't want to attempt to hew out a cistern that I know is broken and that the promise flows right out. I want a living water to flow. It's a covenant. And I'm, going to, I'm sure I'm going to minister about it again next week unless something changes because I'm grieved in my heart. Why are God's people so sick? Why are God's people so sick? Why are we trusting in medicines when we won't even trust in the word of God? Let me ask you this. Why will you do everything so diligently that the doctor prescribes while we neglect what the great physician prescribes? Now, I don't say this to belittle anybody at all, but why do we travel for miles for treatment without just spending some time alone in a book that promises healing virtue. Proverbs 4, verse 22, said that the words, the words of God, listen to what he said, are health to all your flesh. All your flesh. I believe we have a healing pro a promise in the word of God, a covenant with God. Do you believe that today? I want to challenge my unbelief. I, I, I want to challenge myself Joe, when, when I've just had hope, I've had hope. Hope's a good thing, but hope doesn't move God. Faith moves God. Why can't we be a people distinct from other peoples in that we're believing God and we're seeing the fruit of his promise being walked out in our lives on a daily basis? I believe we can. Did you know ancient Israel, when they came out of Egypt, here's what it says. I noted this on Sunday night. It says there was no feeble one among them. Let that be our, our cry. God, let there be no feeble one among us. Why is there no balm in Gilead today? We've got the physician. It's not the preacher. It's the great physician. We've got the great physician. We've got the balm. We believe that's the balm. That's the healing virtue, the Word of God, the living Word of God. We've not received it, and we've not applied it in our lives at the depth that it needs to release God's favor in our lives. Our heads are bowed, our eyes closed. We're just past the 12 o'clock hour for just a few moments. Somebody take care of that for a moment. Because I want, I want us to have a moment, a genuine moment in here as a fellowship. Church family, I believe it's a dual covenant. I read it to you. You read it with me. Forgiveness of sin, healing of our diseases. I don't want to take away from either provision today. If there's sin in your life, you know what you need to do? You need to confess that sin. You need to ask God for forgiveness. And you need to trust entirely upon his word that your sins are forgiven. Wouldn't you agree with me, church family? Isn't that the thing to do? 
Isn't that what we all should do? If there's sin in our lives, we confess that sin. We ask God to forgive us. And then we, we, we trust entirely on what he promised. Now let me say this. If there's sickness in your body, I want you to believe God today. I want to ask us to do one thing in closing. It takes a giant moment of faith. You say, Pastor, it's like 12, 15. I know, I know. I'm just waiting for the Baptist to clear out of the restaurant for you. I want to ask you to stand up and come to the altar. We're just going to stand. I'm not going to come through, and this is not going to be a Benny Hinn moment. That's not what this is about. It's not about me trying to come by and pray with you and, and all that. That's a good thing. We-